0: Hello and welcome to fintech insider insights. I am Ross Gallagher. In today's episode, we are going to be delving into fintech in the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. As part of its vision 2030 initiative, the Saudi government has set ambitious targets aimed towards building a thriving and diverse economy and establishing a strong foundation for long term economic prosperity. This has had significant implications on financial services within the kingdom, as you would expect, um, especially with regards to fintech and digital transformation. But what does the Saudi banking market look like? What technologies are paving the way? And where are the real opportunity and growth areas for fintech? Before we start, we just want to tell you about some of the things we're working on here at 11FS, and a quick word from our sponsors.
1: Temenos is a world leader in banking software helping over 3,000 banks deliver outstanding banking experiences to more than 1.2 billion people. Scale 2021 is Temenos' dedicated, free-to-attend virtual developer event. It includes customer presentations, product demos, roadmap sessions, as well as opportunities for you to speak with Temenos experts. You'll also hear insights from industry leaders on current technology trends and how they impact banking today. Whether you're a developer, consultant, or business user, Discover the latest in banking technology with Temenos software. Search Temenos Scale 2021 to find out more. The evolution of financial services has opened up a whole new world of possibilities for banks. But to harness those opportunities, they need to break free from traditional constraints. Our new report, in association with Infosys Finical, explores how banks can overcome these challenges to see the full benefits of a truly digital world. Find the report at bit.ly forward slash banking business models.
0: Okay, let's get started. As always, I am joined by a panel of amazing guests who can shed some light on all things uh, Saudi fintech. So from 11FS, we have our very own Henry Egan, uh, a director here at 11FS. Uh, Henry, it's your Fintech Insider debut. Welcome to the show. Can you give the audience a little bit of background uh, in terms of your work in the Saudi market?
2: Absolutely, Ross, and uh, thanks for having me on. It is my debut. I'm following in the footsteps of uh, many 11FS and uh, industry greats. So let's see how we get on today. Maybe I won't get asked back, but uh, we will see. You know, As Ross said, I'm a director in our consulting business, so I work with our clients around the world to design, build, and launch fintech and uh, propositions and ventures. We're particularly excited about the Saudi market currently. And I'm sure we will allude to a lot of the trends that are going on and a lot of the opportunities, but we're very excited about that part of the world. And we have some grand plans for the region, which I'm sure lots of you will hear about towards the end of this year and into early next year. So I'm looking forward to the discussion. Excellent.
0: Thanks, Henry. And now making his Fintech Insider debut, we are also joined by Tristan Brand, Chief Digital Officer at Saudi Arabian British Bank. Thanks for being here, Tristan. Would you mind briefly telling our audience about Saab and about uh, your role within it?
3: Yeah, thanks, Ross and Henry. Uh, it's um, interesting to do this kind of format of interview. The Saab is uh, the largest international bank in uh, the kingdom. We are one third owned by HSBC. So we have uh, a heritage and uh, therefore the name Saudi British Bank. And we are, our aim is to be the third largest bank. We're currently the fourth largest bank in the kingdom in terms of assets, uh, 60% commercial. 40% retail with a focus more on in the retail space on the uh, affluent segment and we are quite advanced in some ways in our digital offering but also the market is evolving very quickly and my responsibility is to cover our digital strategy innovation as well as how we deliver product and projects more effectively So uh, quite a wide range of responsibilities, including things like data insights and automation, et cetera. Um, And I've been with the bank for 18 months now.
0: Excellent. Yeah, I mean, it certainly is evolving incredibly quickly, and you're sort of right at the cold face there, Tristan. So looking forward as well to sort of hearing your thoughts as we go through the show. Making up our uh, three-person panel, we're also joined by Naheem Basa, Group Head Strategy and Digital Transformation at bank al jazeera naheem welcome to the show would you mind also uh, giving us a little insight into uh, your role into to sort of bank al jazeera and where it sits in the market as well please
4: brilliant thank you ross and uh, also hello to andrew and tristan it's great to be on the panel today my name is naim vasa and as you mentioned i'm the group head of strategy digital transformation marketing and pr and i think a few other portfolios that will come into the mix it's an interesting space. Uh, Bank Al Jazeera is one of the top ten banks in Saudi Arabia. It's about 47 years old. It's got its traditional retail banking, corporate, and institutional banking group, but also linked up with two other entities: Al Jazeera Capital, so that looks after investment and asset management business, and Al Jazeera Takaful, which we have a minority holding in, which is our insurance arm. So we've got a full portfolio of financial services and products. We've been in the country for, like I said, for about 47 years now. Uh, We're one of the first to launch Apple Pay. So it's given us a really good momentum in the market, in the digital space, and it means many things to many uh, different people. But in my role, I not only have to set the strategy, but also look after the customer experience, journeys, uh, our innovation cycles, both externally with FinTechs, and hence why today's conversation, and also internally about how do we build that momentum up and get people to experiment a lot more with these third parties. Nice, yeah,
0: all, all sort of crucial areas, I guess, in the context of the sort of digital revolution that we're going to talk to uh, over the rest of the show. So um, really great to have uh, all of you guys on board on the panel, and uh, I think we're going to have a good discussion. So uh, let's dive in, and 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 let's maybe start by just looking at the Saudi fintech market, I guess, as a whole. Maybe um, Tristan, if I come to you first, how would you sort of describe what we're seeing in the, in the Saudi banking market in terms of that sort of digital evolution, particularly, I guess, from a sort of digital transformation and maybe disruption standpoint?
3: So the market is. Quite sophisticated, um, and there's already quite a unique level of uh, penetration. At, uh, and I'll speak first, and primarily about retail. You know, uh, very high levels of uh, smartphone penetration and distribution throughout the kingdom. There's a Young population, for those who are aware, you know, uh, one of the largest uh, populations uh, percentage-wise are under 25, and that creates a very fertile environment for customers to want to use digital services. So that's kind of the, the what's the playing field and then uh, added on to that you've got a scenario in which there's a very significant national transformation being driven by the leadership which aims to do many things uh, across uh, whether it's you know diversifying the economy growing the private sector aiding financial literacy etc so there are all sorts of uh, kind of dimensions of change that are driving the demand for uh, enhanced, simpler, better banking services. And to be candid, uh, the pandemic acted as a big accelerator to digital adoption, where historically many customers may have been more used to uh, a Uh, not really having to use the 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 services that are available so today in simple terms what i'd say is we've got a market where the larger players pretty much everybody has uh reasonably good basic digital offerings whether it's online banking whether it's mobile apps whether it's um you know starting to link up other services like brokerage and investment Uh, so all of those things are in play and um we're starting to move through the phase where um, the banks are looking to digitize their services to some banks now starting to think about specific targeted propositions for specific segments and, and building unique you know, uh, whether there's directly apps or, or other, um, speci- other types of services. So uh, overall, you've got that phenomenon. And then you've got the central bank who have been uh, supportive of opening up a fintech ecosystem in what has historically been a very controlled and protected market. And um, that's led to the interest in the topic we're discussing today, uh, both from an investor perspective, as well as the fact that uh, there's a very uh, significant first large unicorn uh, fintech in, in our market area, which is set up by the local or the national telecoms provider, Saudi Telecoms or STC as they're known. Uh, and they've set up a service called STC Pay, uh, which has offered a, a simplified wallet offering uh, that has got really uh, fast adoption since they had great distribution and they, they've become a force in the market. They've taken an investment. The course of last year from Western Union, which actually valued them as a, uh, as a unicorn. So you've got quite a dynamic underlying uh, set of factors that create a ripe environment for fintech. And you've got a few case studies and examples of companies coming to market uh, and uh, starting to have some real traction and impact, which then in, in natural order creates a, an issue for incumbents as they decide, well, how do we respond?
0: Yeah, I think, wow. Well, I mean, as a, a way to sort of set the scene, Tristan, I think that was sort of hugely comprehensive. And Naheem, I could see you sort of nodding in agreement as we went through there with Tristan's sort of description. One thing I'd love to to sort of focus on a little bit, sort of if I was almost to sort of zero in, is some of those drivers. And uh, Tristan, I think you touched on some of them, particularly that sort of like the the top-down initiative from like a Vision 2030... Perspective. Everything that, that SAMA, the Saudi Arabian Monetary Authority, is 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 sort of pushing in that space, but then how that sort of meeting that that sort of bottom up, the sort of appetite, the adoption from the the customer space. I guess Nahim, you would see that as well as being a sort of uh, a couple of the key drivers um, that are driving the sort of digital evolution.
4: Yeah, to echo points, right? I think we're in the era of transformative change in Saudi Arabia. You mentioned the macroeconomic picture, right? About what the sama and central bank is, is is doing to engage with fintech enable access you know make sure that they're treating customers fairly which are all big like global trends but i think it's taken on a different level here and that's probably due to a couple of reasons right we've seen these digital challenges come up for the lack of a better word right there's two sama licensed banks. just mentioned it you got stc pay now in the market right Short space of time, 18 months since the pandemic, I think they've got 6 million customers, 2 million credit cards, right? And about 50,000 point of sale. So really rapid adoption, right? And people have taken it up because of just the simplicity of sign-up process, simplicity, uh, ease of of use. But you've also seen other uh, entities also enter the market, whether it be Abdul Rahman Bin Saad, and Suns, right they've also uh, will probably be releasing something very soon into the market you've also seen live mushrek and even probably zand right coming into the market uh, as well in the next 18 to 24 months so i'm taking a forward-looking view here and then you've got you know some other what i'll call non-traditional uh entrance right so kareem pay which everybody would know as uber right uh, and obviously noon pay which is obviously the g- big grocery and fmcg online e-commerce store the bottom line for me is that you know there's not a winners takes all uh, story so yes i think there's challenges but i think there's huge opportunity for incumbents like us right to be doing either partnership models right or even i would say you know thinking about you know how we build ecosystems with these syntax going forward from a customer perspective i think they win hands down Right? I think there have been lots of different options coming into the market, lots of different value propositions. Right? Some are simplicity, some are analytics, and some are even going the whole route of you know, how can we improve your financial lifestyle. You know, and how we think incumbent banks respond is that they're taking up different purpose and positioning statements. I mean, even us as a bank, we are all about now enriching lives right, through financial well-being bring that whole, you know, three sixty degree of your life together. And I think that has been one of the responses, right, to this incredible change um in the Saudi market.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, Naheem, one of the points that you made that I think is so salient is this isn't just a case of, you know, challenges against sort of incumbents. Actually there's enough there that it's sort of increasing the size of the overall pie and there's enough opportunity there for I think everybody to go after. And I think Henry, you're probably Seeing lots of uh, lots of movement in that space in terms of conversations that you're having both with incumbents and challengers that are sort of looking to move into the Saudi market.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, I completely echo everything that Tristan and him are saying around the customer demand, the young population, the digitally savvy people, combined with you know the regulatory environment, the government support. Things like Sam's Sandbox, which is accelerating fintech development, the plans to release open banking next year, I think drawing on a lot of the playbook from forward-thinking regulators elsewhere in the world like the FCA and um, other regulators, Singapore, Hong Kong, um, that sort of thing. But I, I think that it's really the competitive threat, which is Suddenly, making lots of the big banks stand up and take notice because you know you could have looked around the world for the last few years and known that fintech was coming. It's just a question, you know, when do you act? And it's really that competitive threat which I think always pushes people in boardrooms to actually start making decisions and allocating budget towards these things. And you know, if I think about the competitive threat, I think STC Pay is a really great example because you know, Nahim, you talked about six million customers. They've already got that beachhead product through payments, they've got the customer side, they've got the merchant side, they've just got a banking license. So suddenly, um, lots of big banks are probably sitting up thinking, oh my God, actually, there's a real threat here. This isn't just this distant idea that FinTech is coming, this is real and our profits are under threat here. And equally, some of the other regional FinTechs, for example, live entering the Saudi market, they've obviously had success um, in the UAE. But so, so I think there's a bunch of trends, but it's that competitive threat that becomes very real, which causes banks to sit up and make notice. And the amount of requests and conversations we're currently having uh, in the kingdom at the moment is amazing. So we are very excited about the next few years in the kingdom. I love
0: I love that point, Henry, that you made about the likes of um, Live, for example, you know, sort of having the success that they've had, and they have had a lot of success um, in the UAE, and particularly in Dubai, and then sort of looking to move into the Saudi market, and I think there's lots of challenges, lots of fintechs that can incubate somewhere like the UAE or Dubai population of about 8 million and then sort of look to make that leap into the Saudi market where you've got a much bigger population around about 34 million. I think, Tristan, you made the point earlier that most of the the population are under the age of 25 or 30 to young population and a, a sort of captive audience. So the, the size of the prize there um, in that respect is is pretty big. I think in terms of trends, yes, we're seeing sort of competitors uh, moving into the space. I think we're also seeing a a huge amount of um, investment in the space. So fintech startups based in Saudi Arabia raised almost 130 million from January to May this year, which is a huge jump from the 23 million raised by the sector between 2015 and 2020. Those figures are in dollars, by the way. Naheem, what does this sort of uh, tell us about the uh, the, the the strength of 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 sort of FinTech and, and digital in the Saudi market in particular?
4: Yeah, you know, if I zoom out, you're 100% correct, right? About, you know, I think typically Dubai, you know, the UAE was probably the leader, right? We go back a couple of years ago regarding FinTech and incubating of FinTech. I think other countries like Bahrain and even the kingdom, right, have rapidly caught up. If I look at the KSA market, right? 2018 probably had about 10 phone checks, right? Now you've got over like 155. At any point in time, there's about 13, 14, 15 fintechs in the regulatory sandbox. Just, so that just tells you the momentum that's been building. You're also seeing this huge funding coming into the market, right? Either from within the market or even externally. So you know what we're seeing is like probably one in five fintechs, right? Have a U.S. backup, right? So you see that global flavor coming, but the rest of it is all local right so it's a nice uh, uh there's that nice uh uh in it and you know i like what you say about you know are you seeing the export of fintech from one area or region into another um, uh, geography and i think that's definitely happening you mentioned live and Mashreq bank right Mashreq neo i think the, the they called but you're also seeing like really new fintech startups like Yap right coming into the market right i think they're going to be another dynamic uh, to consider which all like raises the game quite nicely for for the uh, for the entire um, uh, country and industry and my last point would be i would say that that doesn't mean the incumbents are also sitting back here right and just allowing them their 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 the pie to be uh, eaten i think you've got to consider two other factors here right the market is quite interesting because typically banks make their money on fee income, right? And because of the Islamic banking component of it, right? That's much lower than in, say, other markets. I think that's one. Also the cost of funds, you know, like, so what's your lending rates, et cetera, is much lower than elsewhere in the world. So customers actually benefit automatically, right? So they're in a much more improved position than normally, right? So things can only go go from good to great uh, for them. And what I've seen, right, in the market, if I look at um, some of the other players, I mean, s and Bank pouring huge amounts of money into their innovation, digital transformation spend. I mean, I think Raji just launched one of their fintech payments companies even yesterday. Uh, but you're also seeing uh, corporate banks, right, or those banks that have a traditional corporate ba- uh, background, also spending quite a lot of money, right, uh, whether it be Sab, right, or, or or even Saudi Franci, right, uh, coming into play. So it's, it's, it's lots of money. Lots of activity, right, and a lot of good for value propositions coming out.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. It's it's, it's a really interesting actual, uh, actually, a, a sort of window into, uh, you know, how the market sort of moving at the moment. I guess with that in mind, interest in all of the, the the sort of investment and and sort of everything that comes off the back of that. What are what are some of the the sort of key themes where you're seeing so the the sort of most innovation? You know, going back to your previous point, maybe focusing on a sort of retail banking context.
3: I wouldn't. So I'd be a bit more skeptical. I wouldn't necessarily say we're seeing innovation per se. And I would also say that, you know, the, the investment that's taking place at this point, I think is more a consequence of global momentum and, and the fintech phenomenon as a, an attractive investment thesis. Uh, if you look at it uh, in terms of those licensed fintechs, the vast majority have been focused on payments. So the reason they've been focused on payments is that it's a value chain that has opportunity to be inter, you know, to disintermediate or to get into. And to an extent the question is, okay, well, what problem are you solving for the customer? Right? What is it that you're doing as a fintech that is genuinely adding value to uh, a a target audience and to what extent is that also providing uh, benefit to the wider economy. Uh, and I think in that respect, we're still at the early stage of seeing more opportunistic fintechs than people necessarily, um, you know, rethinking a market issue and providing uh, a brand new solution to a long-standing problem. And, and the long-standing problems are usually really hard to solve, right? So, as a for example, financial literacy is not very high across uh, the kingdom, and uh, as a historical legacy, uh, the concept of, you know, long-term saving and retirement planning just aren't part of the uh, behavior set. So I think there's a a future in which we will start to look for fintechs that bring in solutions to problems that probably, I would argue, you know, the, the existing population don't necessarily have a sensitivity to the fact that they have those problems. And that will be uh, kind of phase two. So I'd say we're still very much in the opening up, opportunistic, um, you know, the numbers that Naheem uh, mentioned. Anybody who's been in this game for long enough knows if the numbers are that big, that means that there's going to be a, a very high uh, failure rate too, right? So if, if fintechs are blossoming at that speed, then let's expect to see them fall away uh, at, at an equal speed you know, within 18 to 24 to 36 months. But I think what Naheem uh, points out, which is uh, very relevant, is Okay, so for the incumbents, how are we responding? What are we doing? What are uh, you know? How do we see potential impact on uh, parts of our existing value proposition, and what do we need to do as a consequence of that? And, and that's. Different uh, players are much more active. You know, some some of the banks in the region have uh, stated that they plan to launch challengers, um, and some of them are evaluating how that's going to happen. And others have taken a different approach, which is more progressive digital uh, enhancement and transformation. So I think w- I, I quite like what Naheem said, which is ultimately the uh, the main winner. I think the main winner will be the the customer uh, as the value propositions get rapidly evolved uh, and there's a sense of opportunity to to win market share uh, and as a consequence of that better you know better service uh, better offerings better solutions and that's not yet I haven't really seen that happen yet and and uh, I think that what happens in the next three to five years will be very different than the steady. You know, if you took a, a snapshot today of what's happening, I'd say that's not the right reference point. You need to then, you know, look at more advanced markets and say, okay, well, why would it not replicate? You know, why wouldn't we do, but with a specific Saudi local flavor? Why would we not see similar trends play play out here? And, and I think you will see a lot of similarities to what we've seen in other markets and a catch up game. We, we don't necessarily need to go through all the same steps. We can just probed.
0: Yeah, and 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 I completely agree and I think actually what you've done Tristan there really nicely sort of set out some of those sort of those those really important underlying problems from the the sort of the customer or the population perspective. I know that one of the the major ambitions of the vision 2030 initiative is to build a population that's more financially independent that you know you can start to catch up with regards to the proportion of household income that's dedicated to savings with the rest of the world and and, and building those really positive, those really good financial behaviors that maybe don't exist today. And I completely agree with your point about timing, right? All of this is still really, really early. Henry, I wonder how much the launch of sort of an open banking framework, which I think is expected to go live in 2022, might start or at least lay some of the groundwork for some of those more advanced propositions that, that Tristan mentioned that might start to solve some of those problems.
2: I think it's incredibly interesting what Tristan was just saying, particularly around, you know, are these fintechs or traditional banks solving genuine customer problems? You know, that, that's always the starting point for these things. And then there's are you just purely digitizing what's gone before which is quite attractive to banks because it lowers the cost of delivering these services, but ultimately you're not really fundamentally changing the proposition. And we talk a lot to um, our clients about you know, digitised versus truly digital and fundamentally rethinking um, your proposition based on what digital will allow you to do. And that you know that's not just a superficial user experience layer, but the entire banking operations that sit beneath it. But what, what I think is really interesting, when you're starting to construct these propositions – almost the degrees of freedom and the range of possibilities are much greater than when neobanks started to arrive in the UK five or six years ago. If you just think of the number of things that have happened since then, there's a a neobank trend in retail and in in, in SME. There's things like buy now, pay later, which is increasingly being integrated into neobanking propositions. There is open banking and how that's being used for things like account aggregation or payments. Um, direct from accounts. So there's so many more levers that you can pull now to create interesting new propositions and business models in the market. I think open banking is one very interesting area. I'm curious whether it will follow a similar path to we did in the UK where for the first you know year or so or 18 months, bank, banks really see it as a bit of a A a box ticking compliance exercise. We have to do this thing. We're going to comply with the regulations, but we're going to spend the minimum amount of effort on this possible versus we see this as fundamentally an opportunity for the bank. And, you know, they're in the enviable position of having seen open banking play out in the U.K., And to a certain extent in Europe and in in the US, and to learn particularly from some of the business models that have worked. Because some of the things that have been attractive and have got a lot of customer uptake, like account aggregation and budgeting, have been very popular with customers, but haven't been very profitable for the uh, fintechs that are offering them. I think a really good example is YOLT, which last week. Um, announced plans to shutter their um, account aggregation and PFM tool, but they're going to keep their infrastructure uh, app, which they sell to other fintechs and other banks across Europe. And, you know, the, the, I think the companies that have really made money and built unicorn businesses out of open banking are the True Layers and Plaid's and Tink's. Um, so there are other really interesting sort of infrastructure, banking as a service type plays, that relate to open banking, which could be interesting for uh, banks and fintechs in the region as well.
3: I know we're kind of going around, but I just think uh, Henry's done a a really good job of pointing out, look, ultimately, I think uh, with fintech, Often, what grabs people's attention is the neo banks, right? They they tend to be more relatable and they tend to be more visible, um, definitely as a consumer. Uh, but in reality, the larger impact normally is at the in the B2B space, where you've got fintechs who are uh, remodelling the fabric of how the financial service uh, value chain works uh, and offering uh, capabilities in there. Uh, you know, having spoken recently with colleagues from HSBC about the benefits of open banking to uh, a bank uh, versus a third-party provider. Uh, It is traditionally not an easy problem to solve. I think that what we saw in the Singapore experience was that the, the ability to have visibility more broadly of the uh, of our customers' actual uh, net worth and financial position created a, an ability to have a much more complete and informed conversation. And of course, that's more relevant as you move higher up the net worth and value st- uh, chain, right? But many uh, many individuals, as they uh, acquire more assets and more wealth over time, end up having quite quite frustratingly complicated um, you know, financial relationships across multiple organizations and multiple products, etc. Um, clearly, uh, as, as we move more to a, a mass personalized private banking experience, the ability to do that at scale cost effectively as an organization uh, is, is still a problem that, um, that doesn't have any, that many good solutions to. Uh, and and that's potentially where fintechs can as a yolt but yolt kind of more at the affluent level i think there's opportunity there
4: but i also think there's some certain challenges around this right um especially from the whole consumer retail space number one for the last like three to five years we've been telling customers don't share their data don't do this don't do that and then suddenly we we're shifting gears and we say show your data right so there's a customer education in a market that has, you know, there's some space to go with financial literacy, right? So that's the first thing. The second thing is that I do agree with Krish he talks about, you know, that portfolio view, right? Getting that whole, you know, traditionally we would talk about the 360 degree view of the customer, but now you're actually seeing it across these different entities to to better serve them. I think it is a big challenge. I think it is going to be really difficult for banks to really break the shackles of the traditional way of thinking, right? To think about how do we actually make this a commercial, viable option, right? And how can we also get customers to partake and buy into it as well, not just in the B2B space. Yeah.
0: And I think going back to thinking about Tristan's previous point, I think um it's a particular challenge in a market like Saudi where financial education and financial literacy isn't very high anyway. And it actually moves us quite nicely into the break and then our next section is challenges. So we're just going to take a quick pause and we'll be back very shortly.
3: Customers expect more from their digital experience and their personal finance is no exception. Blue Shift empowers fintechs and financial institutions to create secure customer profiles and intentional relevant experiences for customers. Whether in app, on site, in branch, or anywhere else, BlueShift Smart Hub CDP helps brands like LendingTree and ClearScore turn data into personalized experiences that increase retention, satisfaction, and revenue. Learn more about BlueShift at blueshift.com forward slash 11FS.
1: There is a better way to hire internationally, and it starts with deal. Everything from contract creation, record keeping, payments, and full-time employment is all in one place for teams all over the world. Companies anywhere can hire compliantly everywhere thanks to Deal. It's payroll and compliance built for today's worldwide workforce. To learn more, visit Let's Deal forward slash 11FS. That's Let's Deal, D E E L dot com forward slash 1fs and redeem an exclusive offer of three months free when you hire a contractor and 20% for your first year when you hire an employee
0: okay welcome back let's continue the discussion by looking at some of the challenges and opportunities in the Saudi market. So I'm going to start with a bit of a lens uh, on something that I suppose we, we, we've touched on a little bit already earlier in the show, but we'll go into it in a little bit more detail, this idea of sort of financial inclusion. So nearly 7 million Saudi citizens do not have a bank account, and that includes 4 million women. And that's according to a study conducted by the King Khalid Foundation. I guess banks with higher operational costs have typically targeted customers, perhaps with a, a higher net worth, um, so I'm just going to throw it out to the room and whoever wants to jump in, please feel free to do so. I guess my my sort of question on this is whether digital propositions with a, a lower operational cost can go some way towards addressing some of these uh, these challenges around financial inclusion.
3: I think the answer to your question is there is no choice. It would have to be digital. And I say it would have to be as a conditional statement because the financial inclusion issue is normally um, not one that traditional banks know how to solve in a uh, economically viable way. And so that raises the question of, well, whose problem is it? And who is accountable for finding the right way to offer the services to that uh, particular, you know, significant numerical population, but uh, actually possibly economically low activity population. Um, And so that's a a hard hard problem to solve. Um, And it's not on the agenda specifically at Saab at this point, but I suspect that there will be, uh, you know, potentially the likes of an STC with its breadth of distribution, with its, you know, ability to serve solutions directly onto onto smartphones, is in a strong position to to help resolve that.
4: You know, it's always about accessibility, inclusion, right, and education, which are typically the three that, you know, the, that you go after. I think, you know, it goes without shadow of a doubt, right? Having a digital app is great, right? It lowers your cost. You can channel people into all your customer interactions, but I guess it's about, how do people even think about the app, right? Uh, why would they need it, right? What problems, as Justin said, that they're trying to solve? And, I, and there's two lenses i like to take here. There's the, there's the retail customer base, so, you know, people like you and me, right? How do we get them involved? How do we get females who are also in increasing workforce population, right? So I think that's a big one. How do we get them into traditionally, right? Globally, we see better savers, better investors, right? maybe not so much um, We think the volumes here. So I think that's an opportunity, big opportunity going forward. And I think on the other side, right, when you're looking at the business banking side of things, right, that SME market, right, needs a lot of help, right? Um, uh, faced with lots of different challenges, right, whether it be on the VATs, right, whether it be on cash flow, etc. So that accessibility and usage of these projects, uh, products, right, and how we can actually deliver it to them, I think is gonna be key. And I think we can differentiate there that's where you're gonna win, right? That's where you're gonna really make a positive impact
2: on the community, on the country. What I'd add to that, Ross, is again, I think it depends on who you're trying to bring in here. Because I think the challenges of integrating more women into the financial system who haven't traditionally managed the finances um independently or as part of a you know a family structure versus migrant workers who are coming perhaps from the Indian subcontinent to Saudi Arabia. I was reading somewhere the other day that Saudi Arabia has the second largest remittances in the world behind the United States. So again, like a huge part of the population who will struggle to get onboarded into traditional bank accounts. So I think it depends on the the exact customer segment that you're looking at in terms of the solution, but those are some, some short term fixes. I think further down the line, Things like central bank, digital currencies and digital cash, which I know sama are exploring, will be ways to bring down the cost significantly of providing banking and payment services to customers to try and get close to that uh, 100% financial inclusion goal.
0: Yeah, and 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 I think, Henry, what's really nice about the point that you made that, you know, it, it depends on the, the customer that we're trying to bring in and sort of tying it into Nahim's point about actually how do you bring these people into the workforce, like taking it step by step, how do you educate them? I think the, the that sort of focus on the, the 4 million women that don't have access to a bank account, I think we're, we're, we're seeing women now naturally enter the workforce in Saudi. They are sort of managing an income for the first time, helping them understand actually the potential if they sort of um, combine their finances with perhaps their spouse or whoever else the potential there for uh you know being able to buy properties all of that sort of stuff i think there's um there's there's huge jobs to be done just in that space alone so i think that's a really nice point i want to sort of touch a little bit on um the sort of regulatory context the regulatory environment in in the kingdom at the moment i think sam has made huge strides um in its mission to sort of support the growth of FinTech and we've seen any number of initiatives from international bridges through to accelerators, digital sandboxes, et cetera, et cetera. I think Tristan said there's over thirty fintech companies now operating under the regulatory sandbox environment. And we've we've sort of mentioned as well there's various fintechs that have been issued with um licenses to provide payment services, et cetera. And we've also seen a couple of digital challenges now issued with those digital banking licenses, including STC pay. So I guess Tristan, you know, has this been seen as a big step forward in terms of enabling that fintech ecosystem, these alternative licensing arrangements and actually helping these digital challenges get to market?
3: I find it a, a highly complex kind of push-pull dynamic. So uh, historically, uh, across the GCC, and we've seen this uh in, in Saudi specifically, there's been a drive by the regulator to consolidate what can be seen as an overbanked uh, market. So there have been two major mergers in the Saudi market in the last three years. Uh, Saab was a part of one where we integrated with Alawal Bank. And then uh, Saudi National Bank, which is the, uh, the outcome of uh, NCB and Samba coming together. Uh, so on the one hand, you've got this you know, pressure to consolidate and create a, a few bigger, uh, more well-established banks, and, and Nahim's one of the smaller kind of uh, differentiated providers in, in the market. And then on the flip side of that, there's also this opening up to, to new competitors who long-term... There are question marks about whether they would have a, a viable, sustainable business. It's one thing to come in and see customer growth; it's another to have profitability. So I, I find that the regulator is is actually through that process. And and back to the point, I think Naheem is right that what the regulator is doing, which is ultimately should be positive. <coughs> at the consumer level and potentially also in the re- in the corporate space, more in the SME level. I don't think there's much impact expected uh, at the higher end, you know, mid-sized corporates and multinationals. Uh, th- that's not where there's any impact yet. Um, So what I think you're seeing is that um, there's quite an effective action to bring about more forces of change, lower barriers to entry, and as a consequence of that, uh, escalate the, uh, the value proposition, drive change more quickly. Who ultimately owns those solutions? is a very different question than how quickly is this uh you know driving the speed and momentum of change i think that's what the regulators uh ult- ultimately achieving in this current stage is it's accelerating the overall pace of evolution within the market
0: yeah which is interesting and actually i think um, one of the one of the points that you made tristan around you know there's still a, a slight trepidation almost around how sustainable maybe these uh these companies are i think might sort of go some way towards explaining why the fact that the the sort of capital requirements in each of the cases where we've seen digital licenses issued are still quite high right in the sort of the billions of of reals, which is uh, probably fairly prohibitive for, for smaller challengers looking to get into the market.
3: Look, let's be clear. No market is looking for fintech to build a, a large base, blow up, and then leave a mess all over. And uh, that is still a very likely risk to come to pass. So uh, There does need to be a level of um, uh, scrutiny and f- commitment that reduces that risk as much as possible. Completely agree.
0: All right, so to wrap up, I am going to go around the virtual room um, and I'm going to ask each of you your thoughts on what's in store for sort of fintech in the kingdom so expectations hopes aspirations what do you what do you think the future holds in store I'm gonna I'm gonna start with you Henry if, if that's okay
2: I think the thing that we're most excited about is almost seeing five or six years worth of fintech innovation that we've seen in other markets play out in probably two or three years um, in the Saudi market and you know there, there's that backdrop but there's also you know very deep pockets in banks and fintechs and even you know independent wealth in the kingdom to make some of this stuff happen. So I, I just think it's the amount of change that we're going to see in the next couple of years that we're particularly excited about.
0: Yeah, and it, it just seems to be evolving rapidly. Tristan, same question. So
3: what I expect is that uh, there will be a period of uh, significant uh, acceleration of effort and investment and that um, that may then lead to uh, some uh, harsh winter where a lot of those new entrants don't survive. And I don't think all of them are necessarily motivated to build sustainable businesses. I think there are a number of organizations pursuing more, uh, more short-term ambitions. Um, what I would expect is that um, there will be ongoing active support and sponsorship of uh, more and more fintech activity. I think as an investor case, it's quite an uh, attractive uh, proposition today. And what will that all also um drive is you know, certain challenges around regulatory limitations. So in our market, you're not uh, allowed to passport data outside of the kingdom. So there's some very specific constraints that uh, entrants will need to deal with. But uh, I think in an, in a nutshell, yeah, Henry's probably right. You know, the, the, the market's woken up and the objective is to kind of do as much catch up and possible leapfrog as possible and uh that will I, I see no reason why that's not going to happen and a lot of that will play out in the next uh two to three years
0: yeah
4: it certainly feels like that momentum is there um nahim final word to you yeah uh I, i'm not sure if winter is coming to quote uh, game of thrones but i definitely think there's huge momentum building right in the uh, in the kingdom traditionally it is the biggest market it has the most talent today it, it, it's got the most population so I think it's been quiet for a very, very long time. It's taking a more leadership role. So if I'm looking at what's really great about it, what I see coming in the next, uh, say, two to three years, definitely it's an exciting place to be, right? If you are in FinTech or if you are in financial services, this is definitely one of the places that I think that you should really consider coming to work in because I think the growth rate and what you will learn will be a lot. Uh, there will be an industry shakeout, no doubt about it, right? But I think that's when you actually learn. You don't sometimes learn from your successes. You learn from the things that you don't need, don't want to do or don't need to do. The second thing, I think there's definitely this view of building a new digital economy, right, in the Middle East, right? And definitely Saudi is going to take a leadership position uh, in that. So, you know, fintech will not just be traditionally this old banking and, you know, fintech players, but anything that touches. Yeah. Right. Whether it's around, you know, living a better life, you know, to reimagining the future of banking. Right. Or even within the Saudi context. And I think that's going to be a really, really uh, great um, a marker for the rest of the world, actually.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really nice point. You know, Saudi is playing now to be a a sort of global use case, really, of sort of fintech best practice. And I think if you look at that in terms of that sort of mid to long term view, huge amount of potential and i think to come back to what's been a recurring theme throughout this show huge potential uplift you know we're talking about a win for the customer and i think you know really also then for those providers and also for for sort of s- saudi society more generally so i think um yeah it's 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 an optimistic picture i'm going to end us there so that wraps up today's discussion i think an iconic game of thrones quote is always a nice place to end So uh, yeah, thank you all for joining me. Um, Where can people find out more about you guys uh, sort of specifically in your companies? Um, I'll throw it to you first, Henry.
2: So 11FS.com, all the great podcasts that we're putting out and the other great uh, content on social media. And then me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn, Henry Egan.
0: Excellent. Uh, Tristan, where can people find out more about you? Yeah, so I have a
3: a curated and limited presence. uh, Probably best LinkedIn uh, and Saudi British Bank is um, uh, is a publicly quoted stock and um, you know, we're easily um, identified uh, at saab.com, S-A-B-B.com.
0: Excellent. Thanks,
4: Tristan. And Naheem? Uh, you can find me on most social media platforms, LinkedIn, Twitter, also bankofzira.com. right? Uh, I'm definitely there. But uh, for outside of uh, financial mm-hmm. services, I'm a wannabe triathlete. So you might see me running, might see me swimming and might see me cycling.
0: Oh, that's excellent.
4: All right. And you can find me on Twitter at rossgallagher
0: 07. Thanks for listening. If you like what you've heard, please do subscribe to our podcast. And don't forget to leave us a review. It does help us to make it better. And it also helps others to find the show. As always, if you want to join the conversation, find us on social media. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider or email podcast at 11FS.com. Thanks very much. Goodbye.